0: Last week, I was talking with a mom who uh, asked me, Randy, is it true that the house is less messy after the kids have moved out? And I said, absolutely. Um, and uh, in my case, um, my boys' bedrooms don't have that sour smell anymore. <laughs> and uh, we chuckled, and the conversation ended. And, but later on, I was having one of those, oh, I wish I'd said this, too. Thoughts, and the thought was simply this Yes, the house does get cleaner, uh, and it also gets quieter. Um, And that's okay for a time, uh, but then, you know, you're left with this really clean, fragrant room, and your children aren't in there. And it's at that moment you realize that you're at a new chapter in parenting. Because you never stop parenting, and the new chapter brings new challenges, and the way you parent changes to meet those challenges. So, as we begin this series, Building Strong Families, the word for today is embrace. Embrace. Embrace the challenges. Embrace the mess. Inhale the sour room, because it's very true. The days are long and the years are short. They really are. Uh, We're going to begin a series uh, on the family here for the next few weeks leading up to Thanksgiving. Building Strong Families. As we were thinking about the title of that series, Building Strong Families, Building equals construction, and construction is never not messy. Just two years ago, our church campus was going through construction, and those of you who are here know what this place looked like. I mean, it was messy. There were dirt piles and Dusty footprints, and we had cement trucks uh, coming on and off the property, and we moved the entrance of the property from the middle of the property to the far west side of the property, And, and someone on Christmas Eve kind of forgot that, and that's a mess. And, but it, it was messy in the service of progress. I'm thinking of Proverbs 14:4, 4, which talks about this: "Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. If you want the ox to produce, you gotta feed the ox. And uh, it, because if the manger's clean, well, it's a clean manger, but then what's the point of that? So embrace, embrace the mess. And I think we struggle with that. Somewhere, somebody taught us that building strong families and developing children into fierce men and women of God. Someone told us somewhere that that's a dust-free, mess-free process. Oh, we understand it up here in our heads, but really internalizing it in our hearts is another story. I think we've been hoodwinked by the Instagram life with its endless stream of successful-looking, happy, digitally-enhanced family snapshots, some of which subtly suggest that you know, we have it all together and don't you wish you were us. And we look at those and we wonder, I must be an awful parent. I didn't have time to pick up the living room floor. The, best, the bed isn't made. My laundry pile resembles Mount Everest. The, the kitchen sink is now the new kitchen cabinet. It's stuffed with dirty dishes. And I've not mowed the lawn in weeks. My daughter got a C on her first geometry test. My son didn't make the basketball team. I'm a failure. Their mess equals my failure. My daughter's less than stellar grade. My failure. My son got cut from the basketball team. My failure. My high schooler tanked on the ACT. My failure. My wrestler got pinned at the last match. My failure. My child is being ostracized by their friends. My failure. My child is questioning their faith or their gender ID. My failure. I think there's more construction mess guilt than most of us are willing to admit. The floor gets messy. And we feel guilty. But here's something to remember. Um, Wonderful author uh, Leslie Leland Fields, she wrote a parenting book called Parenting is Your Highest Calling and Eight Other Myths That Trap Us into Worry and Guilt. She wrote, Only one perfect family existed in history and not for long Adam and Eve. "...knew God so intimately that they walked and conversed together in the garden in the cool of the evenings. But they rebelled, desiring to rule over their own lives rather than submit to God's rule. And the effects were immediate. All of creation ruptured. Husband and wife were divided from one another and driven from God's presence. The first child born into this fallen world killed his brother. The human family was changed forever." Now, my American self, you know, steeped in, you know, Yankee know-how and pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, we just can't make sense of that. I mean, Adam and Eve knew God intimately. I mean, surely they taught their children about God. They alone could tuck their children into a bed with stories of strolling with God in the cool of the evening. Talking with him, working under his loving direction. And even after their sin, they were still living under God's family design. One man, one woman, joined in marriage before God, raising their children to know and worship God. But none of this protected them or their murdered son from a brutal crime. Here's the deal it's a messy world, and that makes parenting messy. And sometimes we feel guilty about that. But I want to drill deeply into this question of guilt. Why do we feel guilty about that? And I think if we really probe, we would discover that many of us suffer from what I would call um, a parental identity disorder, <laughs> a parental identity disorder. A parental identity disorder occurs when we who are moms and dads possess an ownership view of parenting. An ownership view of parenting. It's a mindset that sounds something like this. These are my kids and I'll parent them however I want to. Ownership parenting. Parenting is personal. And we take it personally. And You know, our shields go up, and there's a red alert whenever we're even sensing someone criticizing our parenting style. And I think part of it comes from this ownership view of parenting. They're my kids. I'll parent them however I want to. And we rarely state it as tersely as that. But it's all too often our default. We, we get caught up in the hurry-scurry of school schedules and sports schedules and music lessons and dance lessons, even church activities, and we forget who we are as parents. And we start seeing children as, as our property, which leads us to parent in short-sighted ways before audiences of others rather than the long-term, goal-oriented way of God's wisdom. We become reactive instead of responsive. We become self-conscious instead of Christ-focused. And We think it's about us. We think it's about us. And, and so we end up parenting for our ego instead of God's glory. Ownership parenting isn't blatantly self-centered or cruel, but it ever so slightly moves the spotlight from the Lord unto us. Ownership parenting is is ultimately motivated by what we want for our children and what we expect from our children. And it's driven by an image of what we want them to become and what we expect of them in return. And as a result, it's it's well-intended but foundationally misguided, and it won't produce the lives that God intends, the lives that he's entrusted to us. And the biggest problem with ownership parenting is that it does not fit God's reality. (laughs) See, here's God's reality. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's the most difficult verse in the Bible for us to believe. If you can believe Genesis 1-1, you should have no problem believing any other verse in the Bible. Because Genesis 1-1 makes it clear that God alone is the creator and possessor of all. And therefore, anything to do with family or marriage is grounded in creation. Genesis 2.24 says that God created marriage and therefore God defined marriage as one man and one woman for life. And and furthermore, God gave the sacred gift of sexual intimacy only to a man and a woman in marriage. And we've always taught this at Windsor Road Christian Church. And of late, our culture... And the culture in our community has sought clarity from us on this very teaching. And so we've added it to our church's statement of faith. That that God designed and defined marriage as one man and one woman for life. And that God has given this sacred gift of sexual intimacy only to a man and woman in marriage. and, And the blessing and the fruit of that is children And ultimately, we believe this because we believe God's sovereignty, not self-sovereignty, which means he created marriage and he created the family. He created our children. They belong to him. Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I did a Hebrew study on that word, everything. You know what it means? Everything. Everything. The world and all its people belong to him. Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. John 1, 3 and 4. The apostle John says uh, concerning God the Son, Jesus, all things were made through him. And without him, not anything was made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Christian scriptures clearly teach that God the Son made everyone and everything and so then our children belong to Christ for his purposes. Our children are Christ's possessions for his purposes. Our children are a gracious heritage for his purposes. And that fundamental, irreducible unchanging truth changes everything about how we view parenting and what it means. Because if the Lord Jesus Christ is the ultimate owner and possessor of everyone and everything, then who are we? Who are we? What's our primary identity? And the Apostle Paul makes that clear in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Did you get that? This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ. That, that word literally means under rower. Think of a galley slave in a ship like Ben-Hur who rows. That's their life. But the, the metaphoric meaning is even Uh, uh, more picturesque to me, the kind of servant who reports directly to the king. The kind of servant who who reports directly to the king. And that leads us to this second word in 1 Corinthians 4, stewards. Stewards of the mysteries of God. When you read that phrase, mysteries of God, just think the gospel story of Jesus, life, death, death burial, resurrection, ascension, and the sending of his Holy Spirit. A mystery in the New Testament. It's an ironic term. It's, It's a mystery that's no longer a mystery. It's a secret that's no longer a secret because it's been proclaimed. Christ is risen. We are stewards of the mysteries of God. We're gospel stewards and a steward provides responsible oversight and protection of something considered worth caring for and preserving. So that takes us to this big idea. Let's put it all together. Here it is. Jesus has called us to be his parental stewards, his gospel stewards in the rearing of his children. So our best parenting occurs when we see ourselves as stewards versus owners. And there's a huge difference. In stewardship, the only thing that matters is to faithfully represent the the method, the message, the heart, the intent, the mind of the owner. A steward is never free to think or speak or act independently. Everything that steward does, every decision she makes, every interaction is shaped by this one question Will this please the one true possessor of this child? And here's what this means at a street level. Parenting is primarily not about what we want for our children or from our children, but what Christ in his grace has planned to do through us in our children. And when we neglect this, parenting becomes more about our will and our way than about the will and way of our Savior King. Now, here's my problem. My problem is I like sovereignty. I, I like to be in charge. I like to be bossy. I like to tell people what to do. Talk with people, I'd rather talk at people. I, w- I want my kingdom to come and my will to be done on Daniel Street as it is in Daniel Street, you know? And so I totally resonate with one father's honesty about this struggle. And um, it's a story that you've lived through in your way, but this was this father's story. It was a story about the day he took his kids to You know the amusement park, and they were planning to have a really great fun day. They were going to ride rides, and they were going to have lunch together and everything. And uh, this dad said, as we were getting out of the van, hadn't even gotten into the park yet. One of my children said, "You know, Dad, you know, may I have something to drink before we go into the park?" And it didn't seem like a very dangerous request, you know. The dad said, "So, you know, I opened the cooler. It was full of soft drinks." And all of my children saw the one can of soda that they all knew was the best. And global nuclear war broke out. They were pushing and they were shoving and they were grabbing and they were pulling. We hadn't even gotten into the park yet. So I jumped in and I said, "You want to fight? Do you want to fight? We don't have to pay all this money for you to fight. I'll take you home and I'll put the cooler in the backyard with that one can of soda. You can fight forever." And soon the kids weren't fighting. They were just kind of like, you know, silences. They were watching the crowd gather as this dad lost it in the parking lot of this theme park. Now, you've been there? I've been there. Well, What is that about, though? That is about God, the owner, using a can of soda to expose the sin in his children. That's what that's about. He's he's doing something wonderful for his children. He's exposing their brokenness. He's making the condition of their hearts known so that their father, God's steward, might shepherd them in his ways. But this dad confessed, I was too upset to do that. You see, that day, I wanted self parenting kids. In my puny little kingdom of one, there shall be no parenting on family vacation days or when I'm reading my paper or my iPad or after 10 o'clock at night or during a good meal. And as a result of that ownership attitude, this dad confessed to turning a God-given moment of ministry into a moment of anger. This dad says, I did this because I personalized what was never intended to be personal. My kids did not wake up that morning and conspire against me to drive me crazy in the parking lot. But because I personalized what was never meant to be personal, I reacted in an adversarial way. I reacted because they became obstacles in the way of what I wanted. And so I ended up settling for a situational solution that failed to get to the heart of the matter. I yelled and I threatened and I walked away and my children were totally unaffected by what occurred. That day I didn't want the hassle. But whenever God exposes sin in his children, it's never a hassle. It's grace. It's always, and his grace will reveal their need again and again so that you, their parent, God's steward, can be an instrument of change in their lives. And in such moments, the owner wants you, the steward, to forsake your agenda for his greater plans. Now, what will you do? See, the problem with ownership parenting is that it not only causes you to forget that you're parenting sinners, it will cause you to forget that your child has a parent who's also a sinner. Ownership parenting, stewardship parenting, where are you in this? And some of you may be thinking, Randy, I I don't treat my kids like they're my possessions. Well, okay, let's see. Let's take some tests. Let's let's take the test of identity, the test of success, and the test of reputation. Identity. You know, our children often shoulder the unburden, uh, the unbearable burden of their parents' sense of (laughs) self-worth. And parenting is a miserable place to seek your sense of self-worth or your identity. Simply because our children come into the world with significant brokenness inside of them, and parents who seek self-worth or identity in their children's lives, they're going to take their children's failures personally, as if those failures were committed against them intentionally, and then they'll react to the child with hurtful and angry words. And sometimes this seeking of identity or self-worth shows up when a parent attempts to seek affirmation from the child about how the parent is parenting. You know what I mean? Am I the only one who asked my sons, how do you think I'm doing as a father? That's a terrible question to ask because there's an obvious conflict of interest there, don't you think? (laughs) On Halloween... I'm the best dad on earth. What do you mean? It's, it's a buffet of milk duds. How can I go wrong? Make your bed? Oh, dad, you just don't understand. You just don't get it. And on and on it goes. But sometimes we do that, don't we? We, we attempt to seek affirmation from our children about how we're parenting and Stewardship parenting is about self-worth and identity too. Don't get me wrong. But stewardship parents don't get their identity from their children because they've already gotten it from the one whom they represent, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of this, they've been liberated from asking their children to give what no child is equipped to give. Stewardship parents are freed from demanding that their sons and daughters give them life because those parents have already found life in Christ. And because they found life in Christ, they can forget themselves. And they can parent selflessly and sacrificially and in the way of wisdom. Where, where do you see yourself in this? Or Where are you seeking your identity is what I really want to ask. Are you seeking your identity and self-worth in your child or are you seeking your identity from the king what about the test of success ownership parents ownership parents think that it's their job to turn their children into something and so ownership parents work toward a particular dashboard of metrics in the lives of their children that inform them the parents as to whether or not they've been successful. Metrics like academic performance, athletic achievement, musical ability, college acceptance, social likability. These become horizontal markers how, about how well we've parented. Ownership parents think that, it's, that their job is to use their resources to shape their children into what they think they should be. Talk about stress. I'm thinking of that article I read in the New York Times about a parent who sued a preschool for not adequately preparing their four-year-old to enter an elite kindergarten school. The parent insisted that the $19,000 a year tuition was wasted. What's a parent spending 19 dollars on a preschooler for? Another headmaster of an elite school expressed concern to a parent because that parent's four year old didn't seem to be too focused on her vocational path. I'm not making this up. The father replied, She's four. When she grows up, she wants to be a frog. stewardship parents stewardship parents are moved not by what they want their children to be but by what God's grace could cause their children to be and so stewardship parenting is not about achieving goals that you have no power to produce but about being a faithful tool in the hands of the one who alone can produce good things in your children. And this is not just semantics, church family. We're talking about two very distinct worldviews and the attitudes and actions and words that come from each worldview. And this is about who God is, who you are, and who the children are as well. So here's a stewardship question. Here's a stewardship question from uh, Meg Meeker. Uh, She's a pediatrician. Rather than asking how many activities their kids should be in or what school they should go to, stewardship parents ask, how much time is my child spending with me? Hmm. So where are you on this test of success? And then there's reputation. Uh, Ownership parents unconsciously turn their children into trophies. Ownership parents publicly parade their children to the applause of those around them, and when the inevitably crazy phases of our children's lives occur, we go crazy because of how it makes us look. On the other hand, stewardship parents have made peace with the fact That they are parenting sinners who will sometimes, sometimes, sometimes expose them to public misunderstanding and embarrassment. And these God-pleasing parents accept the mess for what it is. See, here's the deal. Children are trophies. They're just not our trophies. They are trophies of the very Son of God who died and rose so that they might live forever with Him. That's the mystery of God. Stewards of the mysteries of God. There it is. That Jesus Christ came and died and rose for them. And stewardship parents who get this, they also get it that it is God who does the work. And God who gets the glory. And they're just grateful to be the tools that God has used. Identity, success, reputation. Where where are you in this? Stewardship parenting, ownership parenting. And for me and for Sarah, I, it, was, it was an everyday getting up. It's an everyday decision. You know, every day we get up and we're faced with these two choices. And, you know, there were some days that I was just the owner And other days, no, God's the owner and I'm the steward. And that's really how it is. And that's how it continues. (laughs) Because you see, it's not over after high school. It's not over after high school. You never stop parenting, even after high school. And, And stewardship parenting is big sky parenting. And it takes the long view. It always takes the long view. And Lord willing, you're going to be a parent longer when they're adults than when they're under your roof. See? And, uh, you know, my sons are 27 and 23. I have no authority over them. Right. Uh, oh, the younger one, <laughs> he has my 2,003, 165,000-mile grand marquee, title still in my name, I suppose. If he displeased me, I could take it back, but I really don't want it back. And he called it the geezer mobile all these years until he needed it for graduate school. <laughs> huh? <laughs> so I don't have authority over them, but I have something better than that. I have influence. And, and that influence... My influence is higher with them the deeper I go with Christ. See, Because it's not over after high school. It's not. And even if this was a mess all the way through, a good mess or a bad mess, there is hope. There is always hope. If you see yourself as a stewardship parent, Which is big sky parenting. Parenting that takes the long view. So what if our church family saw ourselves not as owners but stewards? What if we pictured ourselves as a church of faithful stewards. Who worship and live and work and fail and parent before an audience of one. What if all of us resigned as owners and instead signed on to the ministry, ministry of stewardship? Parenting treasures and trophies that are not ours, but have been entrusted to us, temporarily put in our protective custody. What if we parented not to please any horizontal audience, but vertically the one true Creator, King. And what if because of Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and the sending of his Holy Spirit, what if we truly believed that we, we never parent alone? We never parent alone. Whether married, divorced, widowed, single, we are never alone with our children. God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And that means that someone else is in the hallways with you. Someone else stands in the family room with you. Someone else goes with you as you enter your teenager's room to have that difficult conversation. Someone else is with you when you set boundaries for technology. Someone else is with you as you relive the events of the day before you fall asleep preparing to face another difficult parenting day. Someone is with you as you get up, already feeling exhausted, before the sun even rises. I will never leave you or forsake you. Stewardship parents live with the conviction that God is with you, in you, for you, and will give you what you need so that you can face with courage and grace the parenting moment you didn't know was coming. And yes, there are going to be at times that you find yourself at the end of your rope, but the gospel story tells us that Jesus never runs out of rope. He never gets to the end of his rope. I will be with you always. So embrace this ministry of stewardship for his glory and their good. Amen.